I think having your mind in problem-solving mode so much of the time meant you were very present. Mm. And when you're present, then you are not overthinking things that are outside of your control anyway. And I think occasionally that's that can be a challenging aspect of being alone in a situation where you're away from all of your normal things. This is Luke Almenares, and you're listening to the Solo Female Trailer Podcast, the show dedicated to empowering and inspire women to embrace the unknown and travel on their own terms. Through a mix of solo episodes and guest interviews, you will listen to stories and insights from women around the world who have embarked on their own solo travel adventures. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode. Today, we're here with Theresa. Theresa was in season eight of Alone, and if you haven't checked out that, that show, I highly recommend it. And I usually introduce her guests, but Theresa does so many cool things that I ask her if she can introduce herself. So, Theresa, thank you so much for being here. And can you please introduce yourself? <laughs> <laughs> sure thing. And yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. So, I am a traditional living skills specialist. I travel around the world teaching how-to classes on things like using the whole animal, um, tanning skins with fur on, tanning skins with fur off, sewing, clothing, patterning, um, and doing demonstrations for open-air museums. I also have a PhD in prehistoric uh, leather tanning technologies. And I do museum, I do artifact analysis for traditional glass case museums. That is amazing. So, Theresa, you're definitely not a conventional woman with a typical lifestyle. So what made you choose this life path? Ooh, what made me choose this life path? Wow. So I guess I've done skills my entire life. I was definitely that kid that was like, I'm going to go and live in the woods all by myself someday in the mountains, not interact with any other people. And then at some point realized that actually I'm a really social human. So that probably wasn't going to happen, but still really wanted to make a living from doing what it was I love, which is archaeology and um, experimental archaeology and um, dealing with artifacts. So I ended up working at the Smithsonian for a brief period of time as an intern and then across the pond. Uh, did a master's degree in experimental archaeology and stayed on for the PhD. And at that point, just decided that I'd gotten enough requests to do how-to courses that I thought I would just give that a try. So it started out slow and it very quickly picked up into being one of my main aspects of my income. And yeah, I guess I'm doing exactly what I always wanted to do, which was living living the skills and teaching skills and managing to actually buy enough food to stay alive by doing it. So <laughs> okay, that yeah, that's that's great. And just a question that came to my mind right now. Do you ever get a feeling that you are like you do you feel a disconnection from the current society where right now everything is so automated and everything is through an app on the internet? And you are studying, you know, 
ways to do things millennial before and during the stone age and during like time before so do you ever feel some sort of disconnection i don't necessarily feel a disconnection from modern society i don't often understand like the high technology obviously mm -hmm. i'm i can turn my computer on and off again when things go wrong i <laughs> i have a website that i kind of maintain um i have all the social media all those things and occasionally when you're on the internet the way that people interact with people with other people on the internet does seem absolutely and utterly bizarre the reason it seems bizarre to me is because when i meet people in person they never behave like this i feel like perhaps there is a disconnect between the faceless context that the internet provides for people and how they would actually act were they to just meet that person in real life I would say 99.9% .9 of the people I meet uh, in my life are lovely. And I would say 70% of the people I meet on the internet are lovely. So that is actually a disparity uh, statistically. Yeah. Got it. Thank you so much. I I just needed to ask that because you are the, the first person I have met online, but I have met in my life that has this kind of lifestyle and is something that... I, I was mm -hmm. definitely curious about and thank you for sharing that. Definitely, you know, face-to-face -face is more authentic and you can perceive more things than what the person wants to show you for sure. Absolutely, completely agreed. I, I think that, you know, disagreements in person are a completely different thing than they are digitally. But I mean, there is occasionally a disconnect. Like I've actually been out teaching courses where an adult has sat down next to a campfire and said, that's the first time that they've been next to an open fire. Wow. Which is, that slightly blows my mind. All I can ever say is welcome to being human. No. <laughs> it certainly is. It certainly is. And something I have noticed here in the United States is that, you know, that this disconnection or that very few exposure to natural things like an open fire or even in some states or some places, vegetables because I have worked with kids and <laughs> I have seen um, a lot of cases where kids don't know how a cucumber looks or how a tomato looks right but, <laughs> but yeah it's put into a plastic container absolutely there is absolutely without a doubt there is a disconnect from food um, one of my classes that I teach a lot these days is the using the whole animal class and I would say 80% of the people who are on it are there to learn more about where their food comes from. Like they eat meat, but they buy it at a farmer's market. They buy it in a shop. Maybe they even hunt, but they've never thought, you know, that everybody thinks about the fact that, okay, so there's you can use a whole animal, sure. Doesn't mean everybody did all the time everywhere. That's nonsense. Of course they didn't. They used what they needed when they needed it, but everything can be used. And I have people coming with that with that intent is to learn more about it and to connect more deeply with where their food comes from and to some degree the skills of their ancestors and it's one of those skills that every single person on the planet's ancestors did so it's very connecting in that way for sure yes no 100 thank you so much for for sharing that and just when you were saying that, I am actually from a very small town in Venezuela, and my dad used to be a farmer. So I, I grew up with seeing how where the meat comes from and how they prepare yes. the meat. And I just remember they will make chairs and clothing and boots from and hats from from the leather. So um, yeah. that's also one of the reasons why 
I was very excited to talk to you because it was like, oh, wow, she's preparing the letter and, and you yes. are teaching people how to do the same and how to connect to that and to their ancestors, which is very important. For sure, absolutely. And I mean, a lot of times the skins are a waste product in our modern society and being able to understand how to process those at home and then be able to turn them into utilitarian items and clothing that will last you for 20 years. I have clothing that's 20 years old made out of the skins that I've tanned that I wear with frequency and it's still going strong. Wow. No, I don't get that. I don't get that with my fleece shirts. They're convenient because I can chuck them in hot dryers so they dry fast, but I can throw my brain tan shirt in the dryer too, as long as it's on low heat. <laughs> there you go. I didn't know that. Fun yes. fact about leather. <laughs> yes. Fat, fat tan is brilliant. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, Theresa. And also, I want to start diving more into, into the show because the way what we connect is that my partner saw you on TV and he was just absolutely amazed about your survival skills and about everything you did in this show, which was Alone, right? And the season eight. So the first question about this is, why did you decide to participate in it? Um, well, there's two motivations. One, it's a challenge. You know, you're like, oh, cool. I've been doing this my whole life. I've been out by myself before, even for a few weeks. I'd done a television previously that was with a group for over a month. Um, but alone gave you the opportunity to go out for a long time and really put that skill set that you've worked on your whole life and that you spent a good portion of your life teaching to other people um, to the test and really not only identify your strengths and go like, oh, I'm so glad that I've, I knew that and I'm really good at that, but to really identify your weaknesses and your weak points as well so that you can come away from that kind of experience and then go work on those. Nobody's perfect. Nobody knows everything. That's nuts to even think that. I don't like fish. I don't like to eat fish. So yeah, I know how to fish. I know about 20 different ways to fish in um, a traditional sense with no modern tools, this, that, and the other thing. What I don't actually know a lot about is fish behavior. So it's a bit like trapping. It's all good and well to know 20 traps, but unless you know an awful lot about the animal you're trapping, you don't know where to put them. So I wasn't super surprised that my fishing needed some work, but it did. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that. And I, I saw the part where you got trapped into the fishing lights and your life vest inflated and and you got hypothermia. That was the part <laughs> where I was like, no, there is oh, no, come back to shore. Yes. Yes. That was, uh, it was unexpected. Yep. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it had been it was just you know I guess um equipment malfunctions happen I had you never see the whole story right in a television program like this the, there's a lot of editing because there has to be you send in eight hours a day of footage they have thousands of hours of each participant so then they can only only delve so much into each thing but I had actually I'd given this whole thing a trial run earlier and had got my life vest that also self-inflated these life vests self-inflate in such a way that they want you to float on your back. It's actually really hard to turn over onto your stomach and uh, try and swim in them. So I had said, hey, you know, I'm, I plan on doing this thing. I need a life vest that either is already inflated, you know, so that you're just there in one of those orange ugly things, or one that doesn't automatically blow up when you hit the water because I need to be able to swim. So hence the reason we all thought that had been sorted, including me. I'd read the thing. It didn't say anything about self-inflating. And lo and behold, it did. <laughs> it did. So that was a 
in from my opinion, and you can say if I was wrong, but from what I saw is that it was a near to death experience. And again, you were there by yourself for a several amount of days and in the middle of nowhere. So <laughs> now I want to dive into that part because more than half of the people that were on that show, they quit because they couldn't handle the psychological aspect of being there with those harsh conditions again and living in the middle of nowhere and having to hunt and find for food and also the extreme weather conditions as well, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they weren't there on day 50 or 80, but you were. And most of them couldn't cope with being alone. So from everyone there, you were the one with the best attitude, Theresa, and you were the strongest in that area, in my opinion. So what would you say has helped you achieve that mental strength in your life? Well, um, thank you very much for that, I guess. Um, I wouldn't say that people can't handle being alone. I think it's a choice that you make between everybody misses somebody while they're out. Um, a lot of people had families. They have kids to go back to. They had um, parents, partners, whatever it happened to be. And there is a point, I think, with a lot of people where staying isn't as important anymore as being with those people. We are really social animals. That's how we're designed. It's it's how we're hardwired. Um, for myself, I don't have kids. I travel alone a lot I'm used to being on my own I'm with people all the time when I'm traveling but I'm the instructor I'm the one that goes between the different places you you're in a different social setting um where you know you see a new group each time you don't have that same long-term bond with the people that you're around so other than being quite homesick on a few days in the 20s where I couldn't even figure out where I was homesick for, which was actually quite funny. Um, I remember having a conversation on camera about it and then them actually using it. Yeah. And my dad laughing about it afterward and uh, telling me that he called that my orphan song because <laughs> I didn't sound like I had a home. <laughs> I was like, thanks, dad. Yeah, cheers. But <laughs> uh, I think just being someone who were, is a little bit nomadic and moving around a lot really did help with that as well as I'll tell you what just having been out before on my own for long periods of time in the woods um, or the prairie or the desert or whatever environment it was that I'd been in you go through that homesickness thing and all homesickness really is is you being out of your comfort zone you don't have a routine and your brain is looking for one so that's when you start going oh I need to establish one a little bit more of one let's let's make this home so as opposed to missing home you just make a new home and that's what I do every time I get to a new place wow okay so from from what I got from your conversation is that first it's not something that happened overnight this was something that you have been doing for a long time by being alone in different environments and then you pointed out the fact that the brain is always looking for a routine so it's always looking and then you are building new homes in different places because you are able to create a home and from the footage that I saw from you is that you made that place your home. And I remember you making it from scratch, making the hole, bringing the, the pieces of wood. And you made a lovely fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have a really good spot 
to sit by it and warm up and just drink tea. Because there's lots of times where you just need to sit and drink a cup of tea and decide what the heck it is that you want to do next or need to do next. But most of the time, it's a want to do next because you wanted to be in that situation. You chose to put yourself in that situation. So, you know, you have your moments where you whinge about the fact that, wow, it rained in the morning. Now it's snowing. Now it's sleeting. Oh, look, it's raining again. Fun. Oh, and now the wind is blowing about 60 miles an hour. Yeah, the weather was absolutely manic out there some days. But for the most part, like I say, you chose to be there. And if you go into it with the mentality that this is something I've asked to do, you know, yes, and I am getting paid every day that I'm out here. It's another the monetary thing. People kind of like, they sort of wiggle it under the table sometimes, but mm-hmm. we all have to eat. We are given a stipend. So each day that you're out there, you know, hey, this is my job today. I'm getting paid. And the Got other it. aspect for me that was mental with this is this is a game. This, for me, was a game I chose to go play. It was missing a lot of pieces. It's not like we could just hunt everything and trap everything. You had pretty stringent rules on my season. So I just looked at it like a puzzle that was missing a bunch of pieces, but you still needed to figure out what the picture was. So how do you do that? And so it gives you a lot of mental stimulation while you're there and you're trying to think outside the box and it's constant problem solving. And when your brain is busy, you know, you're not worried about anything that isn't happening right then. Right. Okay. I really like what you say. You chose to be there. There's so much power in that statement because most of the time we think that things happen to us, but actually we choose everything that happens to us. <laughs> Very little in modern life just just happens. You know, yeah. we have a lot of choice in our lives. We're we're not someone who was born into a place that has very few options. We have a lot of options. Sometimes sure. they're rough options, but we have them. Yeah. So also, will you say that the fact that your mind was in problem-solving mode all the time, you were able to survive day by day by just... I think having your mind in problem-solving mode um, mm-hmm. so much of the time meant you were very present. And when you're present, then you are not overthinking things that are outside of your control anyway. And I think occasionally that's that can be a challenging aspect of being alone in a, a situation where you're away from all of your normal things and you're going to start missing things like friends and family and food. ice cream deep fried carbohydrates Uh, (laughs) but you know again in in an aspect of the show that I felt the show potentially didn't do justice to the gathering that got undertaken by a lot of the participants it wasn't just me I know gathering isn't as exciting as somebody failing at trapping or succeeding at hunting or succeeding at trapping and those are those are highlights you know an animal is a big caloric source, even if it's a rabbit, even if it's a fish, compared to plants. However, most traditional societies, especially hunter-gatherer societies, gathering was a main, was one of the main incomes uh, in caloric terms. It's something that's, you know, you've always got that sort of 80-20 rule that's been thrown around for a long time, that 80% of the calories come from gathering and 20% potentially from um, animal sources. 
I think that number is skewed a little bit in favor of plants because when you do get a big take of animals coming in, the amount of calories you get off that one or two animals is significant compared to even a large load of roots, which are a fairly high caloric food. But I was eating three to four times a day out there. You had to. That's how much I was gathering. You had to eat that much of that plant matter in order to get enough calories just to maintain body weight or, in my case, slowly lose it. But you were very much, I said it was a game. Game was eat enough to stay out there as long as you possibly could and stay happy and healthy and sane while doing it. So, yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I remember you talking about the calories a lot. And and I was like, calories is something I don't really think about in my daily life. If anything, I'm trying to restrict calories from my diet. But then you you were out there just looking and like, okay, this cup will add this many calories. And and again, you were very present into the day-to-day and where you're going to have a gallery for the next few days so you could stay there longer. It was amazing. So <laughs> yes, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things, our, our modern lives, everything is about, yeah, yeah, controlling calories. And when it comes to staying alive outside, just staying alive. French have a wonderful saying. It's la vie. It's fat is life, essentially. And okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, they're spot on because fat has nine calories per gram. Carbohydrates mm. and protein have four. So fat is everything. It really is. Good um, to know. Good to know. Yep. <laughs> okay. Because... Don't fear the fat. <laughs> good fat. Good fat. You know, of course, as long as it is processed, you know, margarine, that's not, I don't know what that is. That's that, that can't be good for you. (laughs) I know. Yes, yes, yes. As long as it is good fat coming from, from natural sources, I I agree, especially animal sources. So, and now Theresa, I want to talk more about you and about your solo trips, because this is the solo female trailer podcast. So can you tell us some of your solo trips in the past and the reasons why you have taken them sure so i have um i did quite a lot actually in my early 20s and actually a little bit of high school even i would go out for two three days at a time and then in my 20s it was kind of moving up into the week and week and a half range um usually going out just testing out my various living skills i don't call them survival skills very specifically because survival skills survival itself concept of survival is you've ended up in a situation you did not intend to be in and the entire goal is to get out of that situation as fast as you can that's not what I do I go out and I intentionally put myself in a situation and my goal is to live comfortably there the first few days might be a little bit rough and might feel a little bit like survival as in you're just trying to stay alive but after that you know you've you've established some sort of basic tool set you've established a, a camp even if that camp is mobile your tool set is your camp then that's sort of the progression of things um, and that is probably my main like the reason that I would go out and do things and now I just enjoy travel I enjoy meeting new people I enjoy seeing new places I love just jumping into a culture that I know very little about and just seeing seeing how you get on. There's always amazing, interesting things to learn. I was actually just thinking this last course in California, 
is the first course in quite some time where the group I was giving the course to, English was their first language. So I teach all over the world. I do teach in English. A lot of places I do have a translator with me, but it's different. You you change how you say things. You structure sentences a little bit more simply. You make sure that you slow down. It's this, that, and the other thing. And But because you're there and you're surrounded by people from that country, it's amazing how quickly you pick up bits and bobs of whatever language you happen to be in, of the country that you're in, except for France. France is tough. Sorry, France. French is just so hard to wrap your tongue around. <laughs> it is, and for sure, that thing, it has a lot of sounds that English doesn't have. <laughs> But yeah, that that's one of the main important parts of solo traveling. You know, you're out there alone in a different culture. It's just the fact that you're alone makes you connect deeper with the people around you. And again, you have no one to talk to. So you're just picking up words from the language. And of course, in your case, you are surrounded by a group of people from, from that place. So and I guess the attention is on you all the time. And also you're constantly giving attention to your students as well, right? Yes, so. absolutely. Absolutely. And and most of the time they're really eager to share, you know, hey, this is what makes this country cool. And you're like, that's fantastic. So when we work with this part of the animal, what about <laughs> what about you guys? How does does anybody have stories about how did your grandma do this? How did, you know, or how did the butcher down the block, you know, or occasionally I get people who are actually butchers or people who deal with animal processing They're like oh my gosh I've never seen this tool used that way a lot of times for, for butchery in a commercial sense things need to be a lot faster than how we actually have to deal with just one animal Got it. so it's interesting to see the time-saving things that are done wow yeah that's great and so first your your journey with solo travel has been you you start in the woods And then from there, you, I know you you immigrated to England at some point in your life, I think mm -hmm. over a decade ago, right? Yes, and then, in, uh, yeah, 2009. Nice. Okay. So, quite yeah. a while ago now. <laughs> It's been over 10 years for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then, because of your courses, you've been traveling all around the world. Yeah. So, how do you feel about making a home in every place you visit and stayed at? Okay, so I guess making a home in every place that I visit is what makes me comfortable there. And sometimes it's just the little things like if I'm traveling in my van, I have a pillow. If I travel to a country by flying, I quite often will buy a pillow if I'm going to be there for a while. Just because one of the things I like is to sleep in a comfortable way. And a pillow for me does that. I, uh, a pillow is more important to me than a sleep mat. I can sleep just mm. on the ground. But if I have a pillow, fine, no worries. So a lot of feeling at home is feeling comfortable. And that's, you know, having those little things that make you happy and content and yeah, waking up and making sure that I've got orange juice in the morning, which is a really silly thing. I crave orange juice all the time. So it's like orange juice, a pillow. Yeah, good. I'm home. So being at home is being comfortable. But then also when we travel, the idea is to get out of your comfort zone. So it's just find yes. that comfort in the discomfort pretty much. Yes. And, and there are, you know, you will never feel at home if you're completely uncomfortable. So one is social comfort, just being willing to do things wrong, say things wrong, 
be the idiot tourist because that definitely happens yeah quite often where you know you think the bidet is a water fountain and you know those kinds yeah. of silly mistakes that everyone's made <laughs> you know you have if you have a few little things that you bring with you so one of my my things that I always tell people is just if there's one or two things that are your thing I don't care if that's your favorite necklace or something as weird as mascara you know or a pair of shoes that if you have those with you you feel like there you go that's your home yeah or a yeah. routine routine is really important that thing that you do whether that be the bedtime or the routine in the morning or doing five minutes of yoga or whatever whatever it is that's your thing that for me I actually I tend to have weights with me when I'm in my van so I do some weightlifting in the morning um quite often <laughs> or if I'm flying then you know I'll do some sort of body weight exercise not for long you know 15 minutes something like that but wow <laughs> I truly admired your drive because not even me being at home in the comfort of my home where I have everything that I can just get up and grab it like make carving 15 minutes of our time of my time to do that let alone when I'm traveling Mm-hmm. When I'm traveling, it takes me so long to to get into a routine and to be like, okay, be intentional with, with okay, I'm going to do this activity that I enjoy or I'm going to do this. Right. I'm just like scrambling until after a while I am able to to create a routine. So that's, yeah. I admire that from your part. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, have, I have a pretty physical job as well. So that kind of thing does help just to balance out mm. the physicality of the, the day to day you know, by doing something that's intentionally physical, so it's balanced. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, and Theresa, now that we're talking about bringing things that make you feel at home or, or comfortable, I want to ask you about, you know, this is 2023, right? And especially in the U.S., <laughs> most of us don't know anything about ancestral or living skills. And is there anything you would recommend for solo female travelers to learn or bring with them when visiting a remote area? Oh, remote area. Okay, well, it depends how remote is remote. Then if you plan <laughs> on being there for a while, then just follow the normal routines that are recommended in these places, which is tell someone where you're going. If you leave your vehicle. Please leave a note in your vehicle saying when you'll be back, that kind of thing. So um, pay attention to the weather, dress for the weather, bring the things that are common sense. And then tools, 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 bring a pocket knife, bring a lighter, know how to start a fire, just know how to start a fire. Fire is probably the most useful thing I can, I can build any tool I need to if I have fired a couple of rocks and so can anybody else because every single person on this planet's ancestors did that exact same thing. So, you know, those are some pretty, pretty basic. You don't need to learn how to flint out or break rocks. If you just have your little pocket knife with you, you know, something decent, your Swiss army knife. Okay. It's got a pretty weeny little knife on it. Something with a, a slightly more, a slightly stouter blade, but it can still be folding as long as it's got a good locking mechanism. Bring something that has a comfortable handle and is comfortable in your hands. Because an awful lot of knives are made for people with larger hands than some of us ladies have. And if it doesn't fit your hand, then you're not going to have good control. Control is fairly important when you're swinging something sharp around. Yeah. 
Got it. So bring your common sense. <laughs> Please bring your common sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's also the same when people ask me about solo female travel. And like the first thing is common sense and follow your gut. And also, yeah. So for the survival skills, get familiar with how things are done from the people in, in that area mm-hmm. and a pocket knife that fits your hand. And if you have a vehicle, leave a note letting everyone know when you will be back. Just let people, somebody know where you're going and when you'll be back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, learn how to make a fire. I, I Learn totally how to make a fire. One. Fire is great. Because <laughs> you know, gonna... we talked a lot about mentality here. And I'll tell you the first thing that is going to pick up your mood if you've ended up in a situation that's kind of crap and you don't want to be there is sitting around a warm fire where you can suddenly potentially heat water or cook food if you have it and if not it's just a mood lifter and it's an incredible one wow okay i'm gonna go to my backyard to see the fire at some point yes <laughs> yeah very important to know and do you know the reasons why uh the fire may be a mood lifter well i have a funny feeling that's going to be quite genetic fire and humans have been together for quite some time we have evidence for the use of fire by humans going back to about a million years at this point. We don't know if that's intentional creation of fire, but it's the use of fire. So that's been a huge part of our evolution as as a species. It's one of those defining things along with um, stone tool making and, in all honesty, in my opinion, um, animal skin tanning as well or processing is that definitely allowed us, it's one of those things that allowed us as a species to come out of temperate areas we haven't had any body hair for a very, very long time. We weren't moving out of those temperate areas without um, a second set of skin. And yeah, so stone tools, fire, clothing, those are the three things that Got really it. define us as humans. Yep. Got it. No, definitely fire has been key to human evolution for sure and has given us so many advantages for sure. So um, Teresa, can you tell us more about your business? <laughs> sure. So my business has a couple of a couple of uh, different aspects to it. Number one would be the teaching the skills courses and how to. And I'm usually brought in as a specialist instructor for various schools around the world. And it's really easy to find me. I have a website. It's www.teresaemrick.com. I have all my courses listed on there. Uh, if you're interested in taking a course, like I say, I am teaching in between 12 to 14 countries this year, depending on how it all works out. So I may very well be somewhere nearish to you. Um, the other aspect of my job is doing analysis of prehistoric and early historic leather artifacts for the museums. If you're interested in getting a hold of me on that, again, my website is www.teresaemmerich.com. I guess there are three W's in there, but yeah, you know, you get it. Uh, <laughs> and I do have a section there on the analysis that gives a bit of my background. And I have a book out on that as well, which if you're into tanning and you want to read it, please be my guest. It is definitely not a how-to book, but it's full of a lot of very interesting information. That's great. Thank you so much. And I will make sure to leave the link to your website and your social media in the show notes. Theresa, thank you so much for everything you shared with us. And I deeply admire what I saw from you on the show, that you were there for over 60 days, living in extreme conditions and with uh, very little food. And also, I deeply admire the mental strength that you had throughout the show. And also, now that I go to 
meet you and online i also deeply admire your positive attitude and everything that you're doing for others to reconnect with their ancestors and with ancestral practices as well well thank you so much for having me and really being mentally positive on the show wasn't that hard because i was having a great time out there (laughs) and honestly i have a great time in my life i love my life my life is great my life is wonderful i'm working towards um, having a center for ancient technologies that will be set up in Sweden. So do stay posted for all of those. Um, That's great. Upcoming I mean, events. Yeah. <laughs> this is the life you chose to have. So exactly. And I'm very happy. And really hope that I'll meet some of you guys along the line. So come and join me for a course somewhere. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Theresa.